Well, we are in our second week of a series called Naming the Child, and I have news for you that uh, the announcement, I shared this in the traditional service last week, but the announcement of a child is kind of a big deal. When a child is announced, there is a big deal about what that child would be called. And uh, if you haven't heard the news yet, me and my wife Emma are expecting, so we've been, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> this, this whole message will be downhill from there. That'll be the last applause I get. But we have been going through the process of announcing that we're going to have a child, and we had a lot of excitement. Uh, for instance, when I found out, I was sitting at lunch with uh, Ashley Griffin, our youth pastor, David Denson, who oversees our tech team and does some work with our youth as well. We were sitting there having lunch, and it was David's evaluation. Uh, David, all of our employees are evaluated annually, and it was David's evaluation. And we're sitting there, and in the middle, the phone rings three times, which is code for call me back now. And then there was a text in all caps, emergency. And I went outside, and I called Emma, and uh, yeah, it was an emergency. Big deal. And so uh, I had to go back, regain my composure, and uh, she, she said, so we're, we're going to have a kid. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to this evaluation now. That'll be easy. And so I slid back in, and it was uh, smooth sailing from there. There was uh, the announcements we had with each of our parents, which were a lot of fun. We, we tried to kind of individualize them. For Emma's parents, for example, her dad is a master craftsman. He does a lot of good carpentry work. He's built a table we have at our house that we love. And so we had printed out a picture of a crib and gave it to um, her dad. And it had, we need this by May 31st, 2016. And he's looking at it and he goes, this is a crib. This is a crib. This is a crib. And so it, he, he got it. And her, her mom was a little slower to pick up on it. But she got it pretty quickly too. And it was exciting. And then when we announced to my mom, my mom loves our dog, and so we invited my mom to give our dog a treat, and she went to pull out of the bag of treats pacifiers, and she's like, wait, wait a second, and then my dad, uh, bless him, he was the slowest of all of them, uh, when we announced to my dad, we, he's the kind of guy that asks for your Christmas list uh, around July 4th every year, but he doesn't actually do any shopping until December 24th every year. And so uh, he always is asking for it up front. So we decided, hey, we're going to give it to him in uh, October this year. And so we, we got it together beginning of October and we took it to him. And it was these printouts of all of this Georgia gear, but it was all baby stuff. And he was supposed to get it. Okay, it's baby stuff. They're having a baby. That's why they want this stuff for Christmas. And he's just flipping through the pictures, just flipping through. All of them say, you know, for six months and under, or infant, blah, blah, blah. And he's just flipping through, flipping through, flipping through. And it's not until the last picture he got to that actually had a child in it that it clicked. And we're like, Dad, every single title in there said baby something and other. He said, I was just looking at the pictures. We're like, classic guy. But the announcement stage was so exciting. And it, it changes things because as soon as you announce that you're having a child, immediately there are questions of what does this mean for you? What does this mean for your future, for the life that you're going to live, the introduction of a child into your life? And I believe that that is exactly what happened 700 years before Christ was born. There was an announcement made of his birth, and there was a statement made, and 
Tim read this last week. But it's from Isaiah 9, verse 6. And it says these words, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are the names that he will be called by. These are the, the ways that he will live in the world. Now that we've gone through the excitement of the announcements, we're, we're having dialogues about what the names of we might consider would be. And we're about 99% sure on a boy name. And we are about, I would say, what, about 85% on the girl name now? We're getting there. But we, we are not going to find out what the gender is ahead of time. We're going to wait and be surprised. And we're also not going to tell anyone the names that we're thinking of. And so we're going to wait until that moment. And then we're going to go, oh, it's a boy. It gets this name. It, oh, it's a girl. It gets this name. And there are these little rules that play in when you go into naming. For example, you never want to name your child the name of an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. So Stephen and Megan, lovely names. Not happening with our kids. Um, there's also, you have these associations that you make. For example, there was an um, ancestor of mine that uh, had the middle name Augustus. And I was like, oh, that could be an okay middle name one day. And, and Emma's just sitting there going, no, no. All I can think of is Willy Wonka. Augustus. And uh, we're, so that kind of got ruled out. And then there might be classmates that you've had that particularly got under your skin and so uh, you hear those names, it's like lovely names. Um, no, not going to happen because every time you look at your child and say that name, you're going to associate it with that. But names are important. They're, they have these significant factors to them. Uh, for example, my name, Anthony, means priceless, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there are other names that have special meanings to them. Um, for example, I was looking over some of the names of people who are part of our church, and I came across the name Ashley, which is uh, historically a boy's name. It's a guy's name. It's historically a guy's name. And so, sorry, a little inside joke with this side of the room, but it means um, from the ash tree, which whatever that means. So that's exciting for the Ashleys in the room. But names in biblical times, more so than today, Names in biblical times meant something. There's classic names like Hosea named one of his kids Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Not a very complimentary name to give your child. Uh, there was also Lo-Ruhumama, uh, which meant uh, no compassion. That was another name of Hosea's kids. And the names symbolized something. They were significant of something. And so when Isaiah proclaims 700 years before Christ is born, that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Those names meant something. Those names meant that this was not just titles that he was going to wear. These were things that he was going to be in the world for us to experience. And so this announcement is made. And each week in this series, we are looking at one of the four titles, and today we are going to talk about Jesus as the Wonderful Counselor. And here's what I believe about Jesus as the Wonderful Counselor. The, the first thing that, that comes to my mind as I've looked at Scripture and I've tried to understand what it means for Jesus to be a counselor, and I, I tried to look at the life of Jesus and evaluate ways in which he exemplified what it meant to be a Wonderful Counselor. And there was a passage in Luke that stood out to me. And it had this point to it, that Jesus came 
for the sick. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 through 32, it says he's been criticized for taking in all these tax collectors, people that were sinful, people that had a past. And this is what Jesus said to them. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see this pattern that he is not there just to pat righteous people on the back and tell them good job, but he has come for the sick. He has come for the broken. He has come for those that are in need of healing in their lives. And this took place in multiple different ways. We see throughout Jesus' ministry, he interacted with people that had ailments, and he would come to them, and he would heal them of their ailments. Uh, If they had uh, a disease that had stricken them for many years, he, he would oftentimes heal them of that ailment. But then there are also people that came to him, like the tax collectors who had a past, people like Zacchaeus, and instead of condemning them, Jesus came alongside them and inspired them to change their lives and to change their actions. There's one story that stands out to me in particular. It's a story that we call uh, the woman caught in adultery. And it's in John chapter 8. And in that story, there was a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery. And she was brought before Jesus and thrown on the ground. And Jesus was in a little bit of a bind because the law of that day said that she had to be stoned. But instead, uh, he, he had compassion on her. And when the people that brought her to him asked, what should we do? He said, let him without sin cast the first stone, which was something that none of them could do. And he got down on the ground and he started writing in the sand. Everybody knows what he wrote. We have our guesses. But when everyone was gone, he turned to her and he said, Where are your condemners now? And she said that they have gone. Who stands to condemn you? No one, Tester. And they said, then neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. And we see that throughout the ministry of Jesus, that he came to people that were broken, that had a pattern of sin in their lives, that had a pattern of struggling. And he came to these people and he, he picked them up from wherever they were, because he was called to reach the sick. He was called to be that counselor, that intervening force that comes to those that have struggles, those that are broken people. And I I believe that part of what we all are called to do, if we're going to approach Jesus as the wonderful counselor, is we've got to understand that we have our own brokenness within us. Last week, I was over in the traditional service, and I, I talked about peace, as Tim did in here. And one of the things I mentioned over there was that we all have different anxieties that we struggle with. And I think their anxieties are generally summed up into three categories. I call them the three Fs. We have our, our future, our family, and our finances. And we struggle over those things, and it's evidence of our brokenness that we have. We also might have addiction in our life. We might have something that has controlled us for years that we can't seem to shake. And and here is the reality that I believe Jesus would say to us if he were to encounter each of us, is that all of us have brokenness. And Jesus came for every single one of us. 
Jesus came so that we could be whole again. And so whatever it is, you might have something in your mind that has plagued you for years this morning. And, and the first thing I believe that God wants to say to you in regards to what it means for Jesus to be a wonderful counselor is that Jesus came for you. If you are broken, if you are sick in whatever way, Jesus came for you. Second thing that I, I see as I studied the life of Jesus is that Jesus and God knows our heart. In Hebrews chapter 4, there's this, a couple of verses about what the Word of God is like. And it says this in verse 12 and 13. Because God's Word is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, it penetrates to the point that it separates the soul from the spirit and the joints from the marrow. It is able to judge the hearts and thoughts and intentions. No creature is hidden from it, but rather everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of the one whom we have to give an answer. And it says right there that God knows our heart. God knows the things that we struggle with, the things that we bring into the room. And what, what God does through the power of God's word is it starts kind of picking around the things that are on the outside to get to what's going on in the inside. I don't know how many of you have had experience with good counselors, but I, I've been blessed over the years to have friends that I, I consider to be um, counseling types that have come alongside me at various points of my, my life. And I, I've shared uh, in this service before that there, there have been times when I realized, hey, I've got a lot going on inside me. I need to make a move and, and go see somebody who's trained in this. And uh, I have a, a counselor I go and see periodically. And I remember the, the very first time I went and met with him, um, I was sharing about uh, a professional struggle I was having. And, and it, it was kind of this silly thing. Um, one Sunday morning here at the church, the heat wasn't working properly. And uh, it snowballed on me. No, no pun intended. It was very cold in here. But it's kind of snowballed on me from the standpoint that um, people kept coming up to me and it's like, can't you do something? Why can't you fix it? Why can't you get it right? And it just weighed on me and weighed on me and weighed on me. And I was trying to get ready for a message. I was trying to get ready to, to help the band get in place. I was trying to make sure everything was set with the tech team. And I went in and I'm sharing this story with the counselor. And, and he goes, okay, why are you in charge of the heat? I said, I'm not. I said, but it's my job to make sure everything works right. And he looked at me in a very sarcastic way and only a way that a, a counselor can do. Um, and he just picked off my facade. Uh, and he said, that's great. You and God running the universe together. And uh, it, it completely undid me. And I realized that there was some soul searching that I needed to do that I was trying to do everything myself, and that it, it was the root of it was something deeper. It was something deeper within me that I'm not going to vomit out on the stage right here, but um, it's something that I realized I had to work through. Because, and then he, he started walking through Scripture, and he started showing me, here's what the disciples did. They realized they couldn't do everything and so they, they focused on the things that they could do. And, and here, the, the things that are going on in your heart, here are some scripture that, 
that speaks to that. And it was that beautiful way in which that double-edged sword of God's word intervened into my life and started picking away my facade to show that God knew my heart. And God knew my intentions and God knew that not everything within me was pure. But in realizing that, I, I went back to point number one. I realized that I was sick. I realized that I was in need. And a lot of times we are hesitant to, to admit that we have a need. But if we allow God's word to speak to us, if we allow godly counsel through other people to speak to us, if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in our prayer life, it enables us to see where we have struggles and where we have fallen short. Uh, I like to boast that I have this incredible immune system. I really do. I, I very rarely get sick. Um, and a few weeks ago, I was sick one day. Um, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm like, you know, just like making all these weird noises, coughing nonstop. And uh, Emma's like, you're sick. You need to go to bed. I was like, I'll be, I'll be fine tomorrow. And uh, I just had this grogginess because I don't like to admit when I actually do get sick. And I feel that that's the way that a lot of us are with our struggles. We don't like to call it for what it is. We don't like to say, yeah, the symptoms are there, but that, there's nothing going on. But in reality, if we allow God to, to pick beneath our facade that we put up, we realize that we are in need of God to intervene in us. The third thing that we learn from Scripture about Jesus as the wonderful counselor is that Jesus knows our struggles. Continuing in that passage in Hebrews 4, it says this, Also, let's hold on to the confession, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, who is Jesus, God's Son. Because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness, but instead, one who was tempted in every way that we are, except without sin. Finally, Let's draw near to the throne of favor with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace when we need help. Grace when we need help. We do not have a Savior. We do not have a wonderful counselor that is unaware of the things that we are struggling with. But Scripture tells us there in Hebrews that he struggled in all the same ways that we did. He is able to sympathize with our weakness. When I realized that I needed someone a little more qualified than a friend to turn to, uh, I went and found a counselor who has been in church ministry before. Because when I come in and I say I'm struggling with this and all the pressures and all the expectations, um, he knows. He's been there before. And in the same way, the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, has gone through the struggles of this world just like we have. Struggling with your finances, Jesus didn't have a home. He had to rely on, on God to provide each and every day. Struggling with your future, Jesus knew what his future was. And he knew that his future was death. Struggling with your family, Jesus had to you know, have some hard conversations with his family about why he was called to do what he was supposed to do. Struggling with temptation, Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness after 40 days of not eating. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone 40 days without eating. I haven't. Uh, I've gone several days without eating, but never 40. 
Uh, and I can tell you that at the end of not eating for a while, you are in your most weak and vulnerable stage. And to have Satan incarnate come right beside you and to tempt you, Jesus knows what we've been through. He knows our struggles. He knows our weaknesses. And he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. And the ultimate counselor, the wonderful counselor, uh, is not one where this is a huge myth. He knows what it's like. And so when we come to him, we can come with confidence, knowing that he understands what it's like. He has come for the sick. He knows our heart. And he knows what it's like. One of the things that's beautiful about the Gospel of John, uh, and other Gospels point to this as well, is that when Jesus' time on earth was coming to a close, uh, he sat down with his disciples and he shared with them that he was going to be going away. But not to worry, not to fret, because there was going to be, and the word he uses is counselor in some translations, there would be a counselor, an advocate, a companion that would come alongside them uh, that would carry them through. And that is what we know as the Holy Spirit. And in John's chapter 14 and 16, Jesus lays out uh, our initial understanding of what the Holy Spirit does. And he gives three things that the Holy Spirit, as the counselor, does in our lives. The counselor will teach, convict, and guide. Chapter 14, verse 26 says, The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of everything I told you. Good counselors do that. They teach you ways to go. They teach you and they remind you of the things that are important to you. The second thing, when he comes, he will show the world it was wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's John 16, 8. Uh, some versions use the word convict. He will convict the world. Part of going through healthy counseling is admitting that you are wrong. Recognizing that there are ways that you have fallen short. And then the last thing, and I believe that this is the, the true gift for us moving forward, is that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He won't speak on his own, but will say whatever he hears and will proclaim to you what is to come. We all need a guide. We all need someone to lead us. And Jesus comes to us in that way. As the wonderful counselor and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that experience of the wonderful counselor is available to us even today if we would but turn to God. And so this morning, I believe that all of us have come with, with different things on our hearts. There are struggles we might be dealing with. There are addictions that we can't seem to shake. There are burdens that we are carrying for someone in our family that we may not be strong enough to carry on our own. And what I believe that God wants to say to us through the power of that name, Wonderful Counselor, is that that Wonderful Counselor is available to you. That wonderful counselor is available to you because we know that one of the other names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
the gift of presence, the gift of experiencing God walking with us through every step that we take in our lives. And so this morning as we come to the close of our service, I want to invite you uh, to reflect on what struggles you might have that are holding you back. And there might be something that the wonderful counselor is calling you to do. Uh, I can say from my experience with earthly counselors that the homework assignments that they give me are usually for my benefit. Uh, and there are things that I've experienced walking with the Lord as I, I look at different things that I feel like God has called me to do. Um, and they are healthy to do. And so there might be some things that you need to lay down at the feet of the wonderful counselor this morning. And remember those words from, from Hebrews 4, that we can approach the throne of God with confidence. We have a high priest that has gone before us. We have one that has paid the price. And we celebrate the coming of that person, of Jesus Christ, each December, and we remember that he came and that there was an end that would come in which he would pay the price for us so that we could approach that throne of God with absolute confidence. And so this morning, you're going to actually have a, a couple of opportunities to respond. Uh, in a minute, the band's going to come back up and they're going to uh, lead us in a closing song. And you may want to come and spend some time, uh, just you, by yourself, reflecting in prayer at the altar, laying something down to God. And then there may be something that you would like individual prayer for. And after our, our closing song this morning, uh, after the band is done leading us, we're going to give you the opportunity uh, to spend some time praying with someone from our altar prayer team. We're going to have volunteers up here in the front at the conclusion of the service, and we'll just kind of ask everyone else to quietly leave. But if you would like for someone to pray with you individually, um, that opportunity will be available to you this morning. God, I believe, desires to see all of us whole. Every single one of us has some piece of brokenness within us. And some of us, it's more pronounced. And some of us, it's, it's hidden behind a facade. But I believe that God wants to come as the wonderful counselor and minister to your heart this morning. So our closing song, the band can come on up, uh, is a song that fits the ministry of the wonderful counselor perfectly. And it's a song that's called, Here's My Heart. And it's a, a song that I invite you to sing as a prayer to God. That you would offer this up to the Lord and say, my heart is here for you to speak. Speak what is true to me. So I invite you as we close the service to come and offer your heart to the wonderful counselor.